Chapter 18 Anavidda's Obedient School He stood in the shadows of Valencia Boulevard, looking up at gold letters etched in black marble, DOA recording studios. Underneath, stenciled on the black doors, no solsters, no loitering, no living. It was almost midnight, but the lobby was brightly lit and full of people. Behind the security desk, desk sat a tough-looking guard with sunglasses and an earpiece. I turned to my friends. Okay, remember the plan. The plan. Groovy gulped. Yeah, I love the plan. Annabeth said, what happens if the plan doesn't work? Don't think negative. Right, she said. We are entering the land of the dead and I shouldn't think negative. I took the pearls out of my pocket. The three milky spheres the narrators had given me in Santa Monica. They didn't seem like much of a backup in case something went wrong. And I would put her hand on my shoulder. I'm sorry, Percy. You are right. We'll make it out fine. She gave Groover a nudge. Oh, right. He chimed in. We got this far. We'll find the master bolt and save your mom. No problem. I looked at them both. I felt really grateful. Only a few minutes ago, I'd almost got them stretched to death on Dulux waterbeds. And now they were trying to be brave for my sake. Trying to make me feel better. I slipped the pearls back in my pocket. Let's whop some underworld butt. We walked inside the DOA lobby. Muzak played softly on hidden speakers. The carpet and walls were steel grey. Pencil cactuses grew in the corners like skeleton hands. The furniture was black leather and every seat was taken. There were people sitting on couches, people standing up, people staring out the out of the windows or waiting for the elevator. Nobody moved or talked or did much of anything. Out of the corner of my eye, I could see them all just fine. But if I focused on any one of them, in particular, they started looking transparent. I could see right through their bodies. The security guard's desk was a raised podium, so we had to look up at him. He was tall and elegant with chocolate-colored skin and bleached blonde hair, shaved military style. He wore a tortoise shell shades and a silk Italian suit that matched his hair. A black rose was pinned to his label under a silver name tag. I read the name tag and then looked at him in bewilderment. Your name is Sharon? He leaned across the desk. I couldn't see anything in his glasses except for my own reflection. But his smile was sweet and cold, like a python right before it eats you. What a precious young lad! He had a strange accent, British maybe, but also as if he had learnt English as a second language. Tell me, mate, do I look like a senator to you? N no. So, he added smoothly. So, I said. He pinched the name tag and ran his finger under the letters. Can you read this, mate? It says 
सी एच ए आर ओ एन सेट विथ मी केयर ऑन केयर ऑन अमेजिंग नाउ मिस्टर केयर ऑन मिस्टर केयर ऑन आई सेट वेल डन ही सैट बैक आई हेट बीन कंफ्यूज विद दैट ओल्ड हॉर्स मैन एंड नाउ हाउ मे आई हेल्प यू लिटिल डेड वंस हिस क्वेश्चन कॉट मी in my stomach like a fast ball i looked at annabeth for support we want to go to the underworld she said caron's mouth twitched well that's refreshing is it she said straightforward and honest no screaming no there must be a mistake mr caron he looked us over now did you uh, now how did you die I nudged Kruger. Oh, he said, "Um, drowned in a bathtub." All three of you, Keron asked. We nodded. Big bathtub. Keron looked mildly impressed. I don't suppose you have coins for passage. Normally, with adults, you see, I could charge your American Express or add the ferry price to your last cable bill. But the but with children. Alas, you never die prepared. I suppose you'll have to take a seat for a few centuries. Oh, but we have coins. I set three golden drachmas on the counter. Part of the stash I'd found in Krusty's office desk. Well, now, Keron moistened his lips. Real drachmas, real golden drachmas. I haven't seen these in. His fingers hovered greedily over the coins. We were so close. Then Keron looked at me. That could that cold stare behind his glasses seemed to bore a hole through my chest. Here now, he said, "You couldn't read my name correctly. Are you dyslexic, lad?" No, I said. I'm dead. Keron leaned forward and took a sniff. You're not dead. I should have known. You're a godling. We have to get to the underworld. I insisted. Keron made a growling sound deep in his throat. Immediately, all the people in the waiting room got up and started pacing, agitated, lighting cigarettes, running hands through their hair, or checking their wristwatches. Leave while you can, Keron told us. It'll. I'll just take these and forget you. He started to go for the coins, but I snatched them back. No service, no tip. I tried to sound braver than I felt. Keron growled again, a deep, blood-chilling sound. The spirits of the dead started pounding on the elevator door. It's a shame too. I sighed. We had more to offer. I held up the entire bag from Krusty's stash. I took out a fistful of drachmas and let the coins spill through my fingers. Keron's growl changed into something more like a lion's purr. Do you think I can be bought, Godling? Uh, just out of curiosity. How much do you, have you got there? A lot, I said. I bet Hades doesn't pay you well enough for such hard work. Oh, you don't know the half of it. How 
Would you like to babysit these spirits all day? Always. Please don't let me be dead. Or please let me across for free. I haven't had a pay raise in pay raise in 3000 years. Do you imagine suits like this come cheap? You deserve better, I agree. A little appreciation. Respect. Good pay. With each word, I stacked another gold coin on the counter. Caron glanced down at his silk Italian jacket, as if imagining himself in something even better. I must say, lad, you're making some sense now. Just a little. I stacked another few coins. I could mention a pay raise while I'm talking to Hades. He sighed. The boat's almost full anyway. I might as well as you add you three and be off. He stood, scooped up our money and said, Come along. He pushed through the crowd of waiting spirits who started grabbing at our clothes like the wind, their voices whispering things I couldn't make out. Caron shoved them out of the way, grumbling freeloaders. He escorted us into the elevator, which was already crowded with souls of the dead. Each one holding a green boarding pass. Caron grabbed two spirits who were trying to get on with us and pushed them back into the lobby. Right, now no one get any ideas while I'm gone. He announced to the waiting room. And if anyone moves the dial of my easy listening station again, I'll make sure you're here for another thousand years. Understand? He shut the door. He put a key, key card into a slot in the elevator panel. And we started to descend. What happens to the spirits in the waiting room? Waiting room. Annabeth asked. Nothing, Annabeth Keron said. For how long? Forever. Or until I'm feeling generous. Oh, she said. That's fair. Keron raised an eyebrow. Whoever said death was fair, young miss? Wait until it's your turn. You'll die soon enough. Where are you going? We'll get out alive, I said. Ha! I got a sudden dizzy feeling. We weren't going down anymore, but forward. <clears throat> the air turned misty. Spirits around me started changing shape. Their modern clothes flickered, turning into grey hooded robes. The floor of the elevator began swaying. I blinked hard. <clears throat> when I opened my eyes, Caron's creamy Italian suit had been replaced by a long black robe. His tortoise shell glasses were gone. Where his eyes should have been, there were empty sockets, like Aeris's eyes, except Caron's were totally dark, full of night and death and despair. He saw me looking and said, Well, nothing, I managed. I thought he was grinning, but that wasn't it. The flesh of his face was becoming transparent, letting me see straight through his skull. The floor kept swaying. Groover said, I think I'm getting seasick. When I blinked again, the elevator was, was gone. It wasn't an elevator anymore. 
we were standing on a wooden barge. Charon was po- pulling us across a dark, oily river, swirling with bones, dead fish, and other stranger things. Plastic dolls, crushed carnations, soggy diplomas with glit edges. <clears throat> the river stinks, and with Momon, it's so polluted, Charon said. For thousands of years, you humans have been throwing in everything as you come across. Hopes, dreams, wishes that never came true. Irresponsible waste management, if you ask me. Mist curled off the filthy water. Above us, almost lost in the gloom, was a ceiling of stalactites. Ahead... The far ahead, the far shore glimmered with greenish light, the color of poison. Panic closed up my throat. Where were, what was I doing here? These people around me, they were dead. And with grabbed hold of my hand. Under normal circumstances, this would have embarrassed me. But, under, but right now, I understood how she felt. She wanted reassurance that somebody... Else was alive on this boat. I found myself muttering a prayer. Though I wasn't quite sure who I was praying to. Down here, only one God mattered. And he was the one I had come to confront. The shoreline of the underworld came into view. Craggy rocks and black volcanic sand stretched inland about 50 meters to the base of a high stone wall which marched off in either direction as far as we could see. A sound came from somewhere nearby in the green gloom, echoing off the stones. The howl of a large animal. Old Three-Face is hungry, Sharon said. His smile turned skeletal in the greenish light. Bad luck for you, godlings. The bottom of our boat slid into the black sand. The dead began to disembark. A woman holding a little girl's hand. An old man and an old woman hobbling along arm in arm. A boy no older than I was shuffling silently along in his grave room. Charon said, I I wish you luck, mate, but there isn't any doubt here. Mind you, don't forget about about my peris. He counted our golden drachmas into his pouch, then took up his pole. He wobbled something that sounded like Barry Manilow's song as he ferried the empty barge back across the river. He followed the we followed the spirits up a well worn path. I'm not sure what I was expecting. Pearly gates or a big black particulus or something. But the entrance to the underworld looked like, looked like a cross between airport security and the Jersey Turnpike. There were three separate entrances under one huge black archway which said, You are now entering Erebus. Each entrance had a pass-through metal detector mounted with security cameras. Beyond this, 
were two tall boots manned by black-robed howls like Keron. The howling of the hungry animal was really loud now, but I couldn't see where it was coming from. The three-headed dog, Cerdrus, who was supposed to guard Hades' door, was nowhere to be seen. The dead queued up in the three lights. Two marked attendant on duty and one marked S-death. The S-death line was moving right along. The other two were crawling. What do you figure? I asked Annabeth. The fast line must go straight to Asphodel, she said. No contest. They don't want to risk judgment from the court because it might go against them. There's a court for dead people? Yeah, three judges. They switch around who sits on the bench. King Minos, Thomas Jeffrey, Shakespeare, people like that. Sometimes they look at a life and decide that persons need a special award. The field of Elysium. Sometimes they decide on punishment. But most people, well, they just lived. Nothing special, good or bad. So they go to the fields of Asphodel and do what? Gruva said, imagine standing in a wheat field in Kansas forever. Harsh, I said. Not as harsh as that, Gruva muttered. Look, a couple of black-robed gowns were, were pulling, had pulled aside one spirit and were frisking him at the security desk. The face of the dead man looked vaguely similar, familiar. He's that preacher who made the news, remember? Gruva asked. Oh yeah, I do now. We'd seen him on TV I, a couple of times at Yancey Academy Dawn. He was this annoying televangelist from upstate New York who raised millions of dollars for orphans and then got caught spending the money on stuff for his mansion, like gold-plated toilet seats and an indoor putt-putt golf course. He died in a police chase with his Lamborghini for the Lord. I said, what are they doing to him? Special punishment from, from Hades, Gruver guessed. The really bad people get his personal attention as soon as they arrive. The few, uh, the kindly ones will set up an eternal torture for him. The thought of the furies made me shudder. I realized I was in their home territory now. Old Mrs. Dodds would be licking her lips with anticipation. But if he's a preacher... I said, and he believes in a different hell. Guru shrugged. Who says he's seen this place like the way we are seeing it? Humans see, see what they want to see. They are very stubborn, uh, persistent that way. We got closer to the gates. The howling was so loud, now it shook the ground at my feet. But I still couldn't figure out where it was coming from. Then, about 15 meters in front of us, the green mist shimmered. Standing just there was a monster. A, 
enormous shadowy monster. I hadn't seen it before because it was half transparent like the dead. Until it moved, it blended with whatever was behind it. Only its eyes and teeth looked solid. And it was staring straight at me. My jaw hung open. All I could think to say was, he's a Rottweiler. I'd imagined Cerberus as a big black mastiff, but he was obviously a pure breed Rottweiler. Except, of course, he was twice the size of a bully mammoth, mostly invisible, and had three heads. The dead walked right up to him, no fear at all. The S death spirits walked right between his front paws and under his belly which they could do without even crouching. I'm starting to see him better, I muttered. Why is that? I think, Annabeth moistened her lips, I'm afraid it's because we are getting closer to being dead. The dog's middle head craned towards me. It sniffed the air and growled. It can smell the living, I said. But that's okay, Grover said, trembling next to me, because we have a plan. Right, Annabeth said. I'd never heard her voice sound quite so small. A plan. We moved towards the monster. The middle head snarled at us, then barked so loudly, my eyeballs rattled. Can you understand it? I asked Grover. Oh yeah, he said. I can understand it. What's it saying? I don't think humans have a four-letter word that translates exactly. I took the big stick out of my backpack. A bedpost. I'd broken off Krusty's Safari Dulux floor model. I held it up and tried to, tried to channel happy dog thoughts towards Cerberus. Alpo commercials, cute little puppies, fire hydrants. I tried to smile like I, was, I wasn't going to die. Hey, big fella, I called up. I bet they don't play with you much. Growl. Good boy, I said weakly. I waved the stick. The dog's middle head followed the movement. The other two dogs trained their eyes on me, completely ignoring the spirits. I had Cerberus's undivided attention. I wasn't sure that was a good idea. Fetch! I threw the stick into the gloom. A good solid throw. I heard it go, kersplush, in the river stakes. Cerberus glared at me, unimpressed. His eyes were baleful and cold. So much for the plan. Cerberus was now making a new kind of growl, deeper down in his throats. Um, Groover said, Percy? Yeah? I just thought you'd want to know. Yes? Cerberus, he's saying that we've got ten seconds to pray to the god of our choice. After that... Well, he's hungry. Wait, Annabeth said. She stared, rifling, rifling through her pack. Uh-oh, I thought. Five seconds, Gruver said. Do we run now? 
Annabeth produced a red rubber ball the size of a grapefruit. It was labeled Waterland Denver. Before I could stop her, she raised the ball and marched straight up to Cerberus. She sh- she sou- shouted, "See the ball? You want the ball, Cerberus? Sit." Cerberus looked as stunned as we were. All three of his heads cocked sideways, six nostrils dilated. Sit, Annabeth called again. I was sure that any moment she would become the largest milk bone biscuit ever. But instead, Cerberus licked his three set of lips, shifted on his haunches, and sat, immediately crushing a dozen spirits who'd been passing underneath him in the S Death Line. The spirits made made muffled hisses as they dissipated like the air out of the tires. Annabeth said, "Good boy." She threw Cerberus the ball. He caught it in the middle mouth. It was barely big enough for him to chew, and the other head started snapping at the middle, trying to get the new toy. Drop it, Annabeth ordered. Cerberus's head stopped fighting. and looked at her the ball was wedged between two of his teeth like a tiny piece of gum he made a loud scary whimper then dropped the ball now slimy and bitten nearly in half at annabeth's feet good boy she picked up the ball ignoring the mon- monster spit all over it she turned towards us go now as death line it's faster I said, but now she ordered in the same tone she was using on the dog. Brewer and I edged forward with him. Cerberus started to growl. Stay, Annabeth ordered to the monster. If you want the ball, stay. Cerberus whimpered, but he stayed where he was. What about you? I asked Annabeth as we passed her. I know what I I know what I'm doing Percy she muttered at least I'm pretty sure Gruer and I walked between the monster's legs please Annabeth play Annabeth and I prayed Don't tell him to sit again We made it through Cerberus wasn't any less scary looking from the back Annabeth said Good dog She held up the tattered red ball and and probably came to the same conclusion that I did. If she rewarded Cerberus the ball, there'd be nothing left for another trick. She threw the ball anyway. The monster's left mouth immediately snatched it up, only to be attacked by the middle head, while the right head moaned in protest. While the monster was distracted, Annabeth walked briskly under its belly and joined us at the metal detector. How did you do that? I asked, amazed. Obedient school, she said breathlessly. I was surprised to see there were tears in her eyes. When I was little at my dad's house, we had a doberman. Never mind that, Groover said. tugging at my shirt come on we were about to bolt through the s death line 
when Cerberus made pitifully from all three mouths. Annabeth stopped. She turned to face the dog, which had done a 180 to look at us. Cerberus panted expectantly the tiny red ball in pieces in a puddle of drool at his feet. Good boy, Annabeth said, but her voice sounded melancholy. Melancholy and uncertain, the monster's head heads turned sideways as if worried about her. I'll bring you another ball soon, Annabeth promised. Would you like that? The monster whimpered. I didn't need to speak dog to know Cerberus was still waiting for the ball. Good dog, I'll come visit you soon. I, I promise. Annabeth turned to us. Let's go. Grua and I pushed through the metal detector, which immediately screamed and set off flashing red lights. Unauthorized possessions, magic detected. Cerberus started to bark. We burst through the S-Death gate, which start, started even more el- alarms blaring and raced into the underworld. A few minutes later, we were hiding out of breath in the rotten trunk of an immense black tree as security ghouls scuttled past, yelling for backup from the fury. Groover murmured, Well, Percy, what have we learned today? That three-headed dogs prefer red rubber balls over sticks? No, Groover told me. We've learned that your plans really, really bite. I wasn't sure about that. I thought maybe Annabeth and I had got both, had both, had, I thought maybe Annabeth and I had both had the right idea. Even here in the underworld, everybody, even monsters needed a little attention once in a while. I thought about that as we waited for the ghouls to pass. I pretended not to see Annabeth wipe a tear from her cheek as she listened to the mournful neighing of Cerberus in the distance, longing for his new friend.